This is Collaboration Booster, a podcast on how to improve teamwork. Episode 2. Limit your work in progress. Limit your work in progress? People who are not familiar with ideas from Lean or Kanban mostly ask the following question. What do you mean? Isn't every work that we do in progress? If it's not in progress, it would be finished. This observation is absolutely right. This is what this episode is all about. How can we limit the things that we have started so that we can actually finish them before we start new things? If you are new to the idea of Kanban or Lean, you can go to word-and-deed.org slash podcast, where you will find a version of this episode with additional reading material in form of a video. There are only a handful of people that have a wealth of knowledge about the idea on how people and teams can best limit their work in progress. And they are all people who have co-created Kanban as a method to visualize work and to increase flow of work within a system. One of them is Jim Benson. He's based in Seattle, but actually spends most of his time traveling the world to help organizations set up better collaboration processes. At the end of the episode, I will recommend two books by Jim that will change the way you do your work. I wanted to know what motivates Jim to do what he does. When I wake up in the morning and I'm at home, uh, I'm alive. And then when I go to work, I continue to be alive. So I um, chafe at the notion of work-life balance because I love my work and I would like to see other people love what they do for work too. Uh, I would I would like people to enjoy what they do as much at work as they do in other parts of their lives and then hopefully make that um, a virtuous cycle where home gets better because work gets better. That makes sense. How would Jim explain to a person next to him on the airplane while limiting work in progress is a necessity for a relaxed and productive life? Everybody is overloaded. And when you're overloaded, you become stressed, you become frustrated, you sleep less, your eating habits decline, and your quality of work and your satisfaction with life decline. So um, we need to do a small number of things, do them quickly, do them right, and move on to the next set of things. Get completion, get satisfaction, move on. And if we start 15, 20, 25 tasks, which most people have in flight at any given point in time, that means that the amount of capacity our brains have to focus on what we're working on right now is radically diminished. That sounds like if, in the end, every individual is responsible on their own to define what limiting work in progress means for them. What about people who work in companies where work is pushed their way with little options for them to say no? Jim agrees that organizations need to limit their work in progress too. For instance, by reducing the amount of projects going on at the same time. But in the end, he says, it's each individual who is responsible for the amount of work he or she takes on. That is why Jim talks about personal Kanban as a system to keep track of your own workload. So when an individual approaches their work, it's taking into account the things that they're doing on their teams or for their teams or with their teams, regardless of what kind of industry or organization you're in you are a person and you have things to do. If you do too many things, then you won't be able to focus on any given one of those things extremely well. So 
when you're approaching work as an individual, one of the first things you have to ask is not what does the team need me to do by this deadline, but what are all the things that are happening to me right now? So what are, what's the planned work for this project? What things routinely interrupt me or come in and give me new opportunities? Am I available in other projects? If I devote my time to this project or I do commit to doing certain things by certain dates, what other things won't I be able to get done? Imagine a simple Kanban board with three columns, to do, doing, done. How many things can be ongoing in your doing column? Have a number? Here's Jim's suggestion. So what we recommend for people is that we basically just start off with that limit that we just use all the time, which is three things. Uh, and the reason for that is that cognitively you can handle about five things and we're reasonably sure that people aren't aware that they're doing two things. <laughs> uh, so the three things tend to create good flow. Uh, means that tickets get completed uh, at a on a regular basis and it allows people to observe their work so that they can figure out what is the planned work that we have, what is the unplanned work that we have, what things are actually am I actually doing that I like, that I enjoy, that I get done well, what things drag me down. You know, they can start interrogating their work and then from that make better choices about tasks that they'll, they'll volunteer to do, uh, how to react to tasks that they're forced to do, and what kind of deadlines they can actually realistically set. Still, it seems quite hard to convince people to stick to their limits, even if they have set them. Why? The funny thing is, limiting WIP is totally intuitive. I've never had anybody say, I'm not going to limit my WIP. You know, we talk uh, in our talks about how people wear, wear overwork as a badge of honor, and they say, I'm, you know, but... In general, when we tell people you can't do more work than you can handle, they generally don't argue with that. Um, what is difficult is figuring out exactly how to limit your work in process and then how to not be surprised when you've exceeded it because we all do it all the time. We'll be, talk, we'll be working and the phone will ring and we'll get an email and somebody will walk up behind us and the next thing we know, we're working on five things. Um, that's just the way the world works. So what we want personal Kanban and any type of Kanban to do, what we want to do when we're limiting WIP is provide a system so that we are aware that we have limited our work and process, and then we can tone it back down. So it's just like we're driving in the car, the speedometer shows that we have exceeded the speed limit. You know, we don't we don't get angry with ourselves and say I'm a lousy driver because I've exceeded the speed limit. We just lower the we you know, take our foot off the gas pedal. Car slows down to the speed limit. So let's imagine a person who has built a habit of limiting their work in progress and is sticking to the habit. What are the things that we can expect to happen when a person uh, limits their work in progress? A uh, few things happen right away. Uh, the first thing is you'll find that you have greater focus on the task that you're working on. And when you have greater focus on the task that you're working on, you both complete it more quickly and uh, you um, can move on more quickly to the next task. That's the, that's the easy part. But the interesting thing is that then you are finishing things that you've paid attention to. And so what you'll remember now is not the stress of doing the work, but the actual joy of the creativity of getting it done and the completion of it. And that sounds 
loose and happy and stuff, but our brains actually work on processing information and our emotions are information. So when we are happy, that is information that our brains use and our brains tell us in the future, okay, when something else comes up like that, I don't have to be scared of it. I don't have to freak out about it. I can get it done, which makes you approach the similar tasks in the future more comfortably and with an assumption that you're going to complete them well, which is extremely important when you are a professional that works, you know, just using your brain. Jim wrote a book called Why Limit Whip? And in this book, he gives many more reasons and effects that will convince you that limiting your whip will change your life. Now, limiting work in progress is best done in a visual system, because if you have a visual cue that makes you realize that you have exceeded your limit, you will be able to change something. And if you see that your work does not flow very well through your visual system, you might want to change your whip limit. Or as Jim puts it, If you are not visualizing the work, you can't limit your work in process because you won't know what you're doing. To give you an idea on how important visualizing is, here's a story that Jim told me about a clinic he consulted that was wondering why they were having so many losses in materials like syringes, gauze, pills and other things. They were worried that people, maybe even doctors, were stealing those materials. They wanted to get an analysis on their workflow and where the losses occurred. But Jim had another suggestion. Um, let's get a bunch of the toy cameras that make little stickers when you take pictures of things. And every time someone comes into the clinic, you take a picture of them and you put them on a Kanban. And then when your doctors do rounds, I don't want them to talk about the charts. I want them to talk about the pictures. So that when they go home at night, And when the nurses go home at night and when everybody else goes home at night, they're not thinking of the work. They're thinking of the value that they created and how much they were able to get to flow through their system. And uh, loss went way down by about 60%. So it was not that anyone was stealing anything. They were losing materials because they had no clear sense of purpose of their work and because they were completely overloaded. Using a visual system changed that in an instant. What does this mean for a Kanban system in which you limit your work in progress? So when we set our work up in a visual system, one of the first things that it does is it visualizes the existing workload that we currently are holding either in our heads or in a difficult to read list. And when we visualize that, that, that uh, backlog, It just becomes stuff to do. It becomes options. And we say, I can do some of that, or I can let some of that slide. And we start to understand how it relates to each other. The second thing that visualizing it in a Kanban does is it shows that work flows through the system. So it's not just stuff that we cross off in a list, you know, violently killing it when we're done. It's stuff that flows through, and it becomes more valuable when we complete it. Okay, so the, the value wasn't taking that thing and being able to cross it out. It was being able to move this post-it note into a done column. And then when it gets there, it now represents the realization of an idea versus a task I had to do. And when you get to a point when you have to go back and think about the work that you did, you can look into the done column and you can say, these are the things that really happened. To summarize, setting up a visual system like a Kanban board and making sure that you set limitations on your work in progress 
for instance, your doing now column. But for work to flow through your system and for the limits to work their magic, there's another thing you need to monitor, the tasks that flow through the system themselves, most of the time represented with sticky notes with text on them. So there are um, two sizes of tasks, things you can do and things you can't. Um, we go crazy as human beings trying to plan out exactly what we're going to do and exactly how long it's going to take. And we're always frustrated when it doesn't. And the fact is, is that there's um, a cognitive bias called the planning fallacy. So what I would like to see on those tickets in your Kanban as they're flowing through those tasks that you're going to do is, is the description of the work that you're about to do clear? You know, that could take a week. It could take five minutes. I don't care. As long as it's a coherent description of real work. Since Jim has first described the idea of limiting WIP about 12 years ago, he has learned a lot, of course. Recently, he has made an interesting discovery. So what I've discovered is that there's a lot of different kinds of work in process. There's the work in process that you're actually doing. There's hidden WIP, which is work that you're actually not aware that you're doing. There's ambient WIP, which is work that you're doing that you are aware of, but you're not telling other people about. There's guerrilla WIP, which is WIP that you take on and uh, cannot let anybody know that you're doing. Um, and there's induced WIP, which is basically as we gather up all of those other works in process, all of a sudden we find that we're falling behind on all of the things that we're doing. And then we have to have meetings talking about how far behind we are. And then we have to like you know, per, uh, uh, meet performance improvement plans. We have to do this and that. And the other thing, we have to have coordination meetings because we're doing so much. So the stuff that we're doing actually drives more work and the inefficiencies just start to multiply at that point. So if you have a group and that group has 15 or 20 people who are all working on a bunch of different projects, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time in meetings trying to negotiate the relationships between those projects rather than actually just finishing them. And you have to do that. It's actually not wasted time. It's 100% important time in an overloaded environment. The only way to avoid that is to limit the whip of the organization. As Jim said at the beginning, limiting whip is all about making work interesting, fun, and rewarding again. Without, the situation looks quite bleak. Everybody's in a position at one point in their lives where they've had to either make a report or they've had to do a timesheet and they can't remember what they did. And that's terrifying for me. The, we as human beings discount the value of living so much that we will go to work for eight hours a day and not remember it. Last question. What does Jim have to say to those who say that some overload is actually good for people, that some stress can be beneficial. Overload can be beneficial for very short periods of time. So if there's an emergency in your office, the building's on fire, people better get up and run. They, 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 better, they better do something quickly and they better do something probably that blows their whip. But um, uh, emergencies can bring people together, but when you have one, look for ways to learn from that experience so that you can collaborate better, you can share work better, and when you're finished with your work, 
you as a team and as an individual feel like you've actually accomplished something. To learn more about limiting work in progress and personal Kanban, visit personalkanban.com. Jim and his business partner, Tony Ann, are the authors of Personal Kanban and Why Limit Whip, to just name two. Lately, they set up an online learning environment called Modus Institute, where people can learn about things like limiting whip. Right now, you can enroll in a class about working in distributed teams. Go and check it out on modusinstitute.com. I am Nadja Schnetzler, and my passions are innovation, collaboration, and communication. You can find out more on my website, wordanddeed.org. That is word-and-deed.org. <laughs>